You are listening to a message from Victory Alabang. Get the latest updates by visiting victoryalabang.org or like us on facebook.com slash victoryalabang. Last week we've had uh, Ray uh, Lizardo basically share the word and we've been going through the series called Beyond the Signs. And Beyond the Signs basically is, is um, looking into the seven signs of Jesus or the miracles that John wrote and recorded in his gospel. And it's quite interesting, uh, John wrote only seven when there's actually a lot of miracles that happen, right? But there's a reason why John recorded all these seven signs. And I'd like to share to you something from John chapter 20, verse 30. It says here, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. So we all know that. So John admits that there are so many signs, so many miracles that Jesus had done, but he didn't write it. Why is that? In verse 31, he says, But these are written so that you may believe. Everybody say believe. Believe Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. So John describes the miracles of Jesus as signs. So if you were here, how many of you were here last week? Come on. Yay, at least you know what I'm talking about, right? Last week, we've talked about signs. And signs are really meant to Point us towards a destination. We all know that. Uh, signs are made to point us to a certain person, to a place. And the sign in itself is not the end goal, right? Remember the picture that I showed you? If you're going up to Baguio City, right? And you see the arrow pointing down in Enlex, in North Expressway, you'd probably say, you know, let's, this is it. This is Baguio. Let's camp here. You can't do that. Because how many of you know that Baguio is 300, 200, 300, almost 300 kilometers from Metro Manila? How many of you know that that's not a place to camp, right? So signs, John wrote signs basically to point us towards Jesus Christ. That's what he says. So that all of us may believe that Jesus is the Christ. In other words, He is the Savior, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life. How many of you want life to the fullest? All of us, right? So that's what we will be studying in this series, okay? But last week, we studied the wedding at Cana, okay, where Jesus did His first miracle. What was the first miracle? He turned water to wine. Can you imagine that? If you are, you know, if you are an entrepreneur, probably you're thinking, wow, can you just imagine how much money you will make? You just turn water to wine. The profit is enormous, okay? So... But I'm not talking about that. But water to wine. What is that lesson we could really draw out from this? Okay, it's this. Okay, if God or Jesus can create a miracle in a very insignificant place like Cana, okay, and turn this impure ceremonial water—it's for washing the feet—into okay, the best wine, then how much more can He transform our insignificant lives? our sinful, impure, cursed life into something that is a blessing. How many of you like that? And that's what God or Jesus does for us. He is, in fact, the only one who can bring a radical change in your life and it will last till eternity. That's what we have in Christ. But today, we're not going to talk about the wedding at Cana. We are talking about the second miracle, right? Are you ready for the second miracle? The second sign, okay? If you have your Bibles with you, your, your notebooks with you, we're going to talk about Jesus 
healing an official son. Okay, so I want you to stand up, open your Bible to John chapter 4, verse 46 to 54. Okay, um, if you don't have Bibles, uh, I think we do have some Bibles out there, but for the others who did not bring the Bible, I have the Bible right in front of us, and we will read it together. Is that okay? John chapter 4, verse uh, 46 to 54. Are you ready? Let's read. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Let's just bow down our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we, we just humble ourselves before you tonight. Lord, we ask God that you speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, would you open our spiritual eyes that we may understand the truth. Lord, bless the preaching of your word. And Lord, I pray that this word will minister to each and every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd like to uh, ask a, you know, you know how it is. I'd like, I really like to ask questions. Okay, so but I'd like to ask a very personal question. And I want you to take a, a couple of seconds to digest this, all right? I want you to take time to really reflect on this. What do you want from Jesus? What do you want from Jesus? What makes you come Sunday after Sunday after Sunday in a worship service like this? What do you want from Jesus? What makes you go to your, you know, the, some of our prayer meetings? Or probably you attend a, a small group called the Victory Group. Why do you attend those? What do you want from Jesus? What makes you say that, hey, I'm a Christian? What do you really want from Jesus? Is it because He answers our prayers? Well, that's true, right? How I many of you know that? How I many of you believe that Jesus answers prayers? Come on. Right? All of us know that, right? Is that the reason? Or are we here because we heard someone say to you that Jesus answers prayers? Probably that's the reason why I got to the church. Or probably some of you were here. That's probably the reason why you're here. It's because you've heard that Jesus answers prayers. You see, if this is the only reason why we are following Jesus Christ today, the only reason why we pursue Jesus is because of the things He can do for you, then we might be missing the whole point. You're only probably getting half of Christianity. 
Are you still here? Do you understand what I'm saying? Because if the reason why you're here, why you are a Christian, why you're called a Christian is because Jesus answers prayers, then, you know, there's something missing. Okay? You see, throughout the history, even, in fact, even today, throughout history and even today, people have reduced Jesus as someone who meets our needs. There's nothing wrong with that because Jesus does meet our needs. God meets our needs. We all know that. But sometimes we have this idea that God or Jesus Christ himself is here just to meet your needs. He's what we call a functional savior. He functions only the way you want him to function for you. What we want from Jesus. Um, it's quite interesting in the book called No Place for Truth, David Wells, a seminary professor, said this. He said, We have turned to a God that we can use rather than to a God we must obey. We have turned to a God who will fulfill our needs rather than to a God before whom we must surrender our rights. He is God for us, for our satisfaction. See, we want God to cater to our needs. We want a God who will cater to our needs. It's called consumerism. What can I get out from God? What can I possibly get out from Christianity? See, if you're not getting what you want, here's the danger. If you're not getting what you want, chances are, chances are all of us will just stand up and walk out the door and say, well, I'm not getting what I prayed for. I'm going to walk out. See, this is precisely what was happening in our story. This is exactly the context of this story when this second miracle or the second sign was given to us. Jesus was faced with people who only wanted Him for the signs, for what He can do. This is our story that we will discover tonight. So if you are really ready... Please allow me to give you a certain background. Okay, we'll dive into a background. We'll take about a chapter or two before this chapter. Is that okay? So, are you ready? Okay. You're not yet hungry? Okay, good. We all know that last week we've talked about the wedding at Cana, right? So we all know that water was turned to wine. But you see, after the wedding at Cana, Jesus didn't stay there, okay? Jesus, his mom, and the disciples, they decided to go up north. They went to Capernaum, okay, where they stayed there a few days. But because there was this Passover of the Jews, you all know the Passover? Passover of the Jews was at hand. Jesus decides now to go to Jerusalem. So this is like north where, you know, Capernaum is. Then he goes down south, like in, in here, South Tide, but we are southerners, right? So it's like from, say, for example, Baguio to Manila. It's kind of like that, or, yeah, kind of like that. So Jesus decides, okay, from there, he travels about 85 miles or around 137 kilometers. So it took him, there were no cars, okay? There were no buses. There were no, wala. <laughs> you just imagine they walked. So here it is, Jesus from Capernaum. So after the wedding, Cana went up to Capernaum and finally says, no, it's a Passover, let's go to Jerusalem. So it goes down to Jerusalem and it took a couple of days to get there. And you all know that the Passover basically 
was the feast that God required the Jews to celebrate or to, to um, observe. Why is that? Because this is a reminder of God's judgment to Egypt. Remember this? He says, you know, you remember the ten plagues of Egypt, right? On the tenth plague, he said, you know, and the angel of death will come. So what do you need to do? You need to put blood on the doorpost. You all know what I'm talking about. And this is the Passover feast. But it also reminds us or reminds the people of Israel of the saving grace of God. And what does He do in Jerusalem? Okay? This is quite interesting. What does Jesus do in Jerusalem? Okay, let's, let's discover what happened a few chapters before chapter 4. He goes to the temple. Okay? You all know the temple, right? He goes to the temple. He cleanses the temple from the den of robbers. He says the money changers and all of that. He got mad. You all know the first time that you know, it was a divine anger, I guess. That's Jesus. He got mad. And you all know this story, right? And then he overturned the, 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 the tables. He got the whip and he started to you know, disperse everybody. And his disciples said, you know, zeal for the house of God will consume me which was a prophetic word that was given. But there was just more that was happening in Jerusalem. It, you know, Jesus went to the temple, but there was still more. Okay, let's look at the following verse. He says there, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, you need to take note of this, many believed in his name when they saw what? The signs that he was doing. There was basically a miracle not just miracle, but miracles that were happening. There were signs, the Bible says. Not just one. There were many signs that Jesus was doing in Israel. Of course, the Bible does not mention that. But I could just imagine, probably Jesus was healing left and right. Probably He was making the lame walk, the blind man see. He was probably casting out demons. He was probably, you know, it could probably t- turning a, you know, a, a piece of bread into a cake. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. There were so many miracles that Jesus would have been doing during that time. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. He says that now when he was in Jerusalem, the Passover, many, everybody say many, not few, many believed in his name. And in verse 24, let me just read this. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all the people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So you need to take note that many believe in his name when they saw the signs or the miracles. But Jesus did not entrust himself to them. Why is that? Why? I mean, think about that. You're instant superstar, you know? Can you imagine you did a miracle and people get to notice you? Wow! Kind of like that, right? You, you're like, think about this. You're like, um, you're like David Blaine. You know David Blaine, right? And you're, do you watch David Blaine? Yeah, I get to watch that once in a while. And he'd, he'd kind of levitate. Oh, watch this, watch this. Look, look, look. And then, you know, people would be in awe. They would believe in this. Okay? But the very reason why they believed is because they saw this mirac- miraculous sign. But have they really believed in Jesus? That's the question, right? They believe in the signs. They believe that, wow, Jesus made that sign. But have they really believed in Jesus? Kind of like this. You all remember Charles Blunden? Have you ever heard the name of Charles Blunden? 
Charles Blandin was a tightrope actor. This is true story, okay? True story. You can Google this, right? Charles Blandin. Many years back, he decides to do his act in the Niagara Falls. You all know Niagara Falls, right? This guy, this guy would attempt to cross the Niagara Falls. You all know how, how big and wide that, that river is, right? And it's dangerous, right? And he puts rope across it and he, he, goes, he goes, take a wheelbarrow, okay, kind of like that, and he says, how many of you believe that I can actually cross the falls? Everybody said, yes, yes, you can, you can. Because he did. He went there and came back, and they were clapping, they were rejoicing, and people believed in Charles Blunden, right? And here it goes, he says, in the second act, he says, the second act, if you believe that I can cross this Niagara Falls, how many of you are willing to volunteer? How many believe that I can carry you across Niagara Falls? Nobody lifted up their hands. Why? They believe in what he can do, right? But they could not entrust their life to him. And that's the kind of mentality that the people had in Jerusalem. This is basically the mentality of the people. They were looking at the miraculous signs. Yes! Woo! Great job, Jesus! Everybody was saying that. But hey, nobody believed in Him. That's a problem. So that's our first context. Now in chapter 3, there is another man by the name of Nicodemus. Okay? Same guy in Jerusalem. <laughs> another Jewish guy. Okay? Goes to Jesus during the nighttime because he didn't want everybody to see. And he goes to Jesus and would, would ask him, you know, Jesus, this is what interests me to you. He says, you must come from God because no one can do these things unless God is with you. So this guy, same thing. Believes in the signs and wonders, but never in Jesus. Of course, in chapter 3, we also know that John the Baptist exalts him. But after Jerusalem, after he performed the signs and miracles, Jesus, Jesus now decides to go back to his hometown. So are you still here? You all remember? So from Cana, they went to Capernaum. Capernaum, they went, he went down to Jerusalem. Did the signs and wonders. People believed the signs and wonders, but not him. You're getting it? All right. Now, here comes Jesus. Jerusalem, okay? There's a, there's a very important, you have to take notes as we go on through this story. So, Jesus now goes to, goes back home in Galilee. But before he goes to Galilee, he decides to do a detour. He goes to Samaria. Samaria is like a few kilometers, uh, yeah, a few kilometers away from Cana. But he goes to this community. He goes to this village called Sikar, okay, in Samaria. Now, Samaria, where the Samaritans live, we all know that Samaritans were like an outcast. They were not like the Jewish people, like we're pure Israeli Jew. Now, this was like, you know, they have, uh, they have, they intermarried with the other, other race, okay? So, they were like not the pure Jews. So, 
Jewish community or the Jewish people did not mix with the Samaritans. So Jesus, amazingly, before going to Galilee, goes to Samaria. Why is that? He goes to Samaria and, and he meets this Samaritan woman. You all remember this, right? The Samaritan woman in the well. And, and Jesus would ask this Samaritan woman, Hey, why don't you draw me some water? I'm thirsty. And she says, do you, do you know whom you're talking to? I'm a Samaritan and you are a Jew. I mean, we don't mix. But, of course, Jesus says, no, if you knew whom you are talking to, I would have given you water that you will not be thirsty anymore. Jesus was offering, basically, eternal life to her. And then she says, so the, the, the conversation went on until, until Jesus said, why don't you bring your husband? And she says, no, I don't have any husband. And Jesus said, you're right, you didn't have any husband. In fact, you have had five husbands. And the one that you're living with today, that's not your husband. So she was shocked. There was word of knowledge. Basically, she, she was, I mean, her life story was like open, it was like an open book in front of Jesus. So in other words, Jesus spoke the truth. When he spoke the truth, something changed with the Samaritan woman. She begins to believe. She begins to understand that you're not just a prophet. You're the savior of the world. So this is like, ooh, wow, the, you, the moment that she gets saved, she gets a salvation. And guess what? The very first, the very first evangelistic movement that ever happened was in this place. This Samaritan woman, because Jesus spoke the truth to her. She goes to her village and tells about Jesus. She testifies. And the people started to believe. And they all came to Jesus and they heard for themselves the, the words that Jesus was telling them. And they also believed. In other words, this actually, this whole village became born again. That's what happened. And here's the interesting part. There were no signs and wonders that Jesus performed. There was no miracle. There was no water turning to wine. There wasn't anything at all but the word that Jesus spoke that was more than enough to save a whole village. Can you imagine? So are you here? Are you still here? So it's really interesting. Now, from Samaria in Sikar, Jesus now goes back to his hometown, Galilee. Okay? But he receives a different response. Okay? He goes there in, in this verse. It says, After the two days, he departed for Galilee. And here it is, verse 44. It says, For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. I mean, think about that. It's like, you know, you're like Manny Pacquiao. You're the winner, right? You did all of those things and then they don't honor you. Kind of like that. Okay, of course, a poor description, right? But this is Jesus who testifies. He is the one telling that this, this place, they don't honor me. Why is that? Isn't it odd that this, this Jesus that they grew up with, they do not believe in Him. They do not honor Him. Why is that? Probably because they were all too familiar about Jesus. Ah, He's the son of Joseph the carpenter. He's the one that actually made your kitchen sink. 
He's the one actually who, who made your tables and chairs. So there was familiarity. They didn't, they didn't like Jesus. They couldn't even believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Kind of like that. My neighbor, the Son of God. Think about that. If you had a na- you have, how many of you have neighbors? And think about that. They just, what? You are the Son of God? That's impossible. So that's, that's basically where they're coming from, all right? But there was no honor given to Jesus. But here's the thing. But despite having no honor in his hometown, Jesus, he still decides to go back to them. He still offers himself to these people, even if they do not accept him. You know, John mentions this in John chapter 1, verse 11. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. In fact, Jesus was really setting up the stage for his death. Because the very people who were here were the very people that says, crucify him. This was the very people that he was there. Setting up, but yet, here's where you, what you need to see, okay? If the signs are there, here's what we need to see. It really, it really shows the heart of God. That despite the rejection that these people are doing to Jesus, Jesus still decides to come. It's kind of like all of us. Despite the rejection that we did in the many years that we, 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 you know, I don't want Jesus, I don't want Christianity. But despite that, Jesus still comes. And that's the heart of our God. Amen. So in the next verse, so when he came to Galilee, listen to this. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Now, the Galileans welcomed him anyway. <laughs> Prophet with no honor, but they, they welcomed Jesus. And why is that? They welcomed Jesus not because he was Messiah or the Son of God. They welcomed him because, again, they saw the signs. Why? Because they were in Jerusalem during the Passover. So you remember, remember there were many people who believed these are the very people. They went up to Galilee and finally they saw, saw Jesus. So they welcomed him. Come here, Jesus. Come on. Show me the signs. Do this magic thing. That's kind of like, you know, show it. Show it. Can you turn this paper into money? You know, turn this, I don't know. But Think about that. That's the kind of mentality these people have. But yet, Jesus decides to be there. Which brings me to our story. So are you ready? The second miraculous sign that Jesus performed. In verse 46, So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was what? An official whose son was ill. Who was this official? Okay? We know that he's from Capernaum, but scholars say that this man is a Jew. Okay? If you look at the word official, the literal meaning of official means royal one. In other words, he, has, he, he probably was designated officer in the courts of the king. And guess who's, who, who that king was? It was King Herod, the, you know, uh, King Herod Antipas, the ruthless, wicked king who actually had his brother killed and stole his wife. This is the guy. So this royal official basically was very influential. Not only that he was influential, but this guy, he was, he was rich. 
He had wealth. He was there. But here's the thing. But his son, the Bible says, his son was ill. You see, death is not a respecter of men. No amount of money can buy life, the least in life. How many of you know that, well, all of us will someday die? Nobody, we don't want to talk about death, right? But the reality, the reality, everybody will face death. And even if you are the richest man in the world, even if you have if you are the most powerful man in the world, even if you are the most popular, influential leader in the world, you cannot buy life. That's a reality. And this is the official that we're talking about. So when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son. For he was at what? The point of death. Now, scholars believe that, G, that this man, this official, he was not seeking Jesus as the promised Messiah. But he was there because he heard that he is able to do these miracles. If you were in his shoes, you're the most influential guy in town. You're the richest man in the world, let's just say. But with all, all the money that you have put, the doctors, the specialists, everything, it could not save his son. So what will you do? You will do anything. So this guy does not really believe in Jesus. He just heard this, but he comes anyway because if this can help my son, by all means, I will do it. So he goes to Jesus and asks this. But the thing, the thing about this official, he was very desperate. You know how desperate this man is? Think about this. The Bible says that when this man heard that Jesus had come to Judea, to Galilee, guess what? This man could have gone to Judea all the way. So from Cana or Capernaum, which is the northernmost part, he travels 85 miles to go to Judea in Jerusalem only to find out that Jesus already left and went to Samaria and Galilee. So he goes there, didn't find him. He runs again to, to Galilee. This is how desperate he is. What do you want from Jesus? It's kind of like that. And this is what he says, come down and heal my dying son. So what was Jesus' response? How did Jesus respond to this? In the next verse says, Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. I mean, if you are expecting Jesus to heal you, probably, you probably think, right, you know, if, I, if I were the official, yeah, sure, let's go. Let's go hear your son. Like, if, uh, you know, if, uh, if you call a pastor, Pastor, can you come to the, to the hospital? My son is dying. By all means, we're going you know, to go there. But what does Jesus do? He says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Jesus rebukes him. Ouch. Diba? I mean, as pastors, we just say, oh, wawa naman, let's just pray for your son. Ganun kami, diba? We, ganun kami, shepherd, we... But Jesus does not do that. He rebukes the official. But the official was not the only one in this audience. Why? Because if you look at the Greek word, the unless you, that you word, it meant plural. In other words, Jesus was also talking to the Galileans. Okay? Those people who wanted also the signs. 
And he says, unless you, kind of like this, unless you, not just the official son, you. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Allow me to rephrase that. It's kind of like Jesus saying, so Jesus said to us, unless you see your prayers answered, you will not believe. It's kind of like that. He rebuked them because they were focusing solely on the signs. In other words, they want Jesus only, for my first point, for his works. How many of you believe that Jesus is a miracle worker? Can I see? We all know that. And we can marvel at the many miracles that Jesus had done in our lives. You know, I can actually I can tell you so many stories. Stories on provision, stories on healing, restoration. I can even tell you stories of supernatural things that I actually witnessed. I mean, seeing, seeing a typhoon and then in that patch of land, it was not raining. Have you seen that? I've seen it. It's amazing. I've, I've seen many miracles like, like you know, a, a, an almost blind person after praying for him, gets to see i met a man who was that is diabetic we prayed for him and amazingly he sees i mean i have seen so many miracles that jesus had performed but as good as that may sound it cannot be my basis to follow christ in other words if answered prayers are the basis for me to follow christ then i will fail to follow him are you still here tonight the danger is when we don't get to see the miracles happen in our lives we still trust god when i don't get to hear or when i don't get to see my prayers answered would i still believe in him and here's a certain twist in the story okay and you know bear with me yes jesus rebukes the official but for a good reason I believe that Jesus wanted to test the heart of that official. Because he could have said, you know, yeah, I'll go down with you. Let's heal your son. No, he says, no. Unless you believe, right? Unless you see the signs and once you believe. I believe that Jesus wanted to test his heart. If you were to approach Jesus and you get rebuked, how would you feel? How would you feel if Jesus rebukes you? You're praying in your, in your bedroom you're praying, Lord Jesus, please provide for me. Please heal my son, my daughter. And then he rebukes you. How would you feel? I remember the official, right? The official was like influential, royal, rich guy. You'd probably, just like him, be angry, right? Or you'd probably say, you know, Jesus does not want to answer my prayers. Probably you'd even give up your pursuit of Jesus. Let's see what happens. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Now, these are the words not of a royal, prestigious, influential man. These were the words of a broken man right in front of Christ. He humbles himself, says, Sir, come down before my child dies. And this is what I believe. I believe that he touched the heart of Jesus. You know, there is a, there's a, in Psalm 51, verse 17, it says that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, 
you will not despise. So this man touches the heart of Jesus. And look what Jesus said to him. He says, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. So instead of the royal official, right? Instead of him seeing the signs and wonders of, of healing with Jesus, Jesus just you know, gives a five words. He says, go, your son will live. Only five words. What happens? This guy says, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. See, many times we have this expectation. You all know what I'm saying? You have this expectation when you pray to God, Lord, answer me in this manner. Right? You want God to answer you, Lord, give me a sign that you're going to answer my prayer. It's kind of like that. But yet, it was just enough for that five words. Jesus only said, go, your son will live. You see, God does not work the way we work. His ways are never our ways. His ways are higher than all our ways. And that's how God works. But He speaks the word. Which leads me to my second point. His word. Jesus said only five words. And this man believed the word. You know, the truth is, many times, that's all we need. That's all we need. We all need God's word. It's more than enough. And see, if we, we can avoid so many dangers in life if only we have read, listened, and obeyed and applied the Word of God in our lives. It's so simple. Kind of like this man. What did he do? He says, the Bible says, he believed and he went on his way. You know, people like to see a miracle, but the only miracle they need to see is the miracle of God's Word working in a man's life. That's truth. Many of us would like that miracle to happen. But the best miracle that's happening is inside us, where the Word of God is working. And I believe that Jesus was already working in the heart of this official. This time, he believes Jesus, not because of the signs and wonders. No, he believes Jesus solely on his word. You know what you know what Jesus was doing? There was actually a miracle that was happening. It was not just the healing of the son. In fact, it was the healing of the official. Think about that. It's amazing. Gotta get this. Jesus spoke the miracle, but there was a miracle that was far more important than the miracle of his son getting healed and it was this it was the official why because the official was spiritually dead he didn't have a relationship with jesus christ he was dead to the bones he was just after the miracle he was just after the cure but yet the miracle that jesus started was already bearing fruit the word of god that was spoken to him is bearing fruit and that's an amazing thing he was now receiving life from the very mouth of God. And it's called faith. Everybody say faith. Faith. Jesus was building the official's faith from trusting His works to trusting Him at His word. 
So how do we build our faith? The Bible says faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. And you say this with me. Hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing the word of Christ. And here's something you cannot miss. John wrote this in the beginning of this gospel. And don't miss this, right? About the word. What was the word? In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was who? Was God. He was in the beginning with God. You know the Greek word for word is logos. Logos. And if you look at the meaning of logos, logos means the reason for life. What John was saying is that this Jesus Christ, the Word, who is God, He is the reason for our existence. That is what was happening. Faith being built up in this man's life. And the Word became what? Flesh. And He dwelt among us and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Which points me towards number three. My third point is himself as I'm ending. Himself. Let's read. In chapter 4, verse 46 to 51, it says, As he was going down, what happened? This official goes out, right? He believed God's word. He goes to his place. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. You know, if you really look at the, the original Meaning of recovering, the Greek meaning of this was not recovering. ESV says recovering. The best rendition was actually in Greek, which means your son lives. Are you getting this? In other words, when Jesus spoke that healing, your son lives, literally, literally, his son lived. Instantly. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, which is 1 p.m., the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. The healing was instant. The power of God's word heals his son instantaneously. It's amazing. It is really amazing, but we don't want to camp there. Amen? It's a really amazing story. You know? but, but think about that. It's not about the healing. It's about Jesus Himself. Look at this. The Father knew that was the hour when Jesus said to Him, Your son will live, right? And what does it say? And He Himself believed. Now, this kind of believing was different believing. At first, he was believing out of the signs and wonders, right? And then he receives the Word of God and he believes the Word of God. This one, the Bible, basically. But now, it's a different kind of believing. You know why? Because he saw in his own eyes the miracle that Jesus did. And that opened his faith to believe that this miracle comes from the Messiah, the Savior Can you imagine? And all this sign points to who? To Jesus Christ. You see, the official's desperation for his dying son got him to look for the cure, the miracle, right? Or the sign. But instead, he received the greatest miracle. He received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Not just the 
you know, not just the healing, but he received the healer. Not just the miracle, but the miracle worker. Not just life, but the life giver. That's what he received. So what do you want from Jesus? What do you want from Jesus? Is it his works? Is it his word? Or is it Jesus himself? I'd like to end with this main point. Our faith in Jesus, who is the word, is far more important than his works. Amen? Jesus is more concerned about your faith in him than what he is able to give you. Amen? Let's just bow down our heads and pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord God, that you have opened our eyes, Lord God, not to the signs, not to the miracles, not to the answered prayers that we have, but you open our eyes to you because you are the word made flesh. You are God. Lord, many times we like to get an evidence, a proof that you exist. Many times we want you to answer our prayers, but we fail to pursue who you are, a loving God. The Bible says, God so loved the world. He loved all of us. He is a loving God that He gave Jesus Christ to us. There's nothing wrong when we pray to God. There's nothing wrong, Lord, when we pray to You. What's wrong is that when we look to the prayers, when we look to these miracles, the breakthroughs that we're longing for, and we miss out on the true Savior who is you. Lord, so we come before you, Lord God, in sweet surrender before you, Lord. We humble ourselves, Lord, just like that official, Lord God, broken before you, Lord. Lord, we, we just want to say sorry, Lord God, because we want what you can do for us, but not you yourself. So Lord, I pray that you change our hearts, Lord. Change us from pursuing what you can do for us. Change our hearts to pursue you as our Lord and Savior. The one true God, the one who really loves us, who died for us on that cross. Lord, we repent, Lord God, for the many times, Lord God, you know, we have this term called tampo. Lord, patawarin mo kami kasi nagtatampo kami many times because you don't answer our prayers. So Lord, forgive us. That's you. If you know somehow you have made God as you know a vending machine, a genie on the in the bottle. That is you. Just you know, without nobody looking around, just close your eyes. If that is you. Just lift up your hands. I want to pray for you. Yes, thank you. Yes. Actually, if you think about it, it's all of us. All of us have made our God a vending machine. So Lord, we just come and ask God that would you forgive us, Lord God. Forgive us, Lord God, for not pursuing you because we have pursued the blessings but not the blesser. So Lord, we repent even now. 
And thank you, Lord God, that you have forgiven us. Lord, you've revealed this word to us tonight, Lord God, because you want a relationship with us, a lasting relationship, Lord God. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord God, that we have received forgiveness. We have received the power of your word in all of us. Lord, thank you. We receive this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can you give God a big hand? Come on. <laughs> Praise God.